And like I said, my name is Aaron Schoberg. I've preached here before. So if you don't know who I am, um, I am the husband of the beautiful Shay, who's usually in the back helping out with kids' crew. But uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to speak. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Um, Father, I love you, God. I love that you are a God who gives of yourself for us. You're a God who is all about our healing and all about our calling. I thank you, God, that you are a God who cares about where we are right now, whether we're suffering or going through disappointment or doubt. I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be in here and that any kind of veil, any kind of rug that we're brushing things under, that any part of us that we're not being authentic about, Lord, I just pray that it would be taken off and that you would just breathe authenticity in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you again for allowing me to speak. Um, I believe that God, I mentioned this before last time I talked, but I think it's utterly true. Uh, God has called me to be a channel of his word and his truth. So for the past few weeks, RCC has been going through a series. Next week, uh, we'll be starting a different series. So this week is kind of an off week, which I was given some flexibility on what I wanted to talk about. And today, I want to talk about something that's been on my heart for quite some time, and that's on doubt and mission. Doubt and mission, kind of an interesting combination there. The reason why this has been on my heart, because about 10 years ago, I went through a crisis of my own faith, where I nearly walked away from God. Uh, Around that time, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with people like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. They wrote books like God is Not Great and The God Delusion, and there were a few others out there too who wrote similar works. And they essentially made the argument that Christianity was scientifically backward and uh, essentially self-serving. And uh, I'm not sure if it was because of that or because of other cultural things going on, but roughly between uh, 2007 and 2014, uh, the Pew Research Center did a study on Christians across the United States, and apparently 19.2 million people walked away from the Christian faith in that span of time. To put that in perspective... That's roughly just about 2 million shy of the entire state of Florida, who in the United States just walked away from their faith. Most of them, according to the Pew Research Center, uh, left because they were disenchanted with Christianity because they no longer believed. It's really disheartening to hear that. Um, But a part of me wonders, was it really Christianity that they walked away from? Many of you may be scratching your heads and saying, wait, what are you talking about? Was it Christianity that they walked away from? That's what you just said. They walked away from Christianity. Well, I mean true faith. Uh, It would be wrong just to take that stat in isolation. In the 20th century, across all the Western uh, churches, there was a growing trend of what is known as domesticated consumeristic Christianity. And it was very, very popular. And the focus of that version of Christianity was kind of like a self-help thing, but it was mainly focused on getting people into the church, less focused on discipleship, and about affecting the world. That was not an emphasis. The primary emphasis was how do we get as many people in church, in the programs, get as many attendance as possible. And when you do that, you unfortunately reduce the gospel to something that's extremely self-serving. So the Hitchens and the Dawkins weren't completely wrong about that. But they were wrong about the heart of Christianity, which is about healing. It's about transformation of the whole person. And it's about calling and purpose 
in this life. But this consumeristic Christianity, if you hold to that specific perspective, if you hold on to that idea of what Christianity is and you're in the faith, you're essentially just boiled down, your faith boils down to maybe some doctrinal points that you just check off, like Jesus is divine, the Trinity, all that, but they don't have any relevance to your life. And maybe you might have some morals that you follow along with that, whether it be sexual morals or not drinking, which are important. Don't get me wrong. And the doctrine's important. But if that's all that your faith is, if that's all that consists of your Christianity, man, it just takes one big disappointment or a series of disappointments in your life that you haven't really dealt with. And all of a sudden, boom, all the way down the line. It's like dominoes. The next thing you know, you lost your faith and it's gone. The Christ that we follow, the Christianity that we follow, is something wholly different from that. It's about your healing and about your calling. It turns out that much of the doubt that we may experience, that we may feel in our life, um, may be the result, a byproduct of this kind of cultural Christianity that is consumeristic at its heart. I fell into this way of thinking. You know, if you asked me at the time, I would say, oh, no, that's not, that's not how I think. But functionally speaking, that's exactly how I lived. And it's, it's actually unfortunate. At the time, I was getting ready to leave a church. I was a youth pastor. And I was struggling with doubt, with confusion. I had recently come across evidence for evolution and in the age of the universe. I'm just being honest right now. I found that very compelling and I didn't know what to do with it. My entire worldview was on um, this kind of polarized view of Christianity where it's either you're a six-day literal creationist or you're an atheist, and that was it. It was the only two options you had, which is wrong. <laughs> but I had that mentality, and I um, didn't know what to do with my faith. And if I was really honest with myself, a lot of that was me being arrogant, too. And uh, I was also disappointed with my life. I had just graduated from college with horrible debt, I didn't, wasn't at a high-paying job, and <laughs> I just broken up with my girlfriend. I was just long before I met Shay. And I was in a place where I'm like, my life is disappointing right now. And for many people, like, yeah, you don't know the end of like, suffering. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now. I completely understand that, and I never want to belittle anybody's pain right now. But I'm just being honest right now for where I was during that time. I was disappointed with my faith, and I felt like God had failed me. And on top of that, I had these doubts. And in my arrogance and in my desire to help myself, I brushed everything under the rug and said, I'll take care of it. I don't need to share this with other people. This is my issue. This is my problem that I'm going to work out myself, which is probably the worst thing to ever do. <laughs> like we were talking about earlier in the service, God wants to take off those veils. He wants us to be honest where we are. Um, it's easy to be afraid of people giving you answers all the time, but we do need to be heard because sometimes being heard is to be healed. And the worst thing that we can do is not be honest with where we are. That's what was my experience. I took different truths like all truth is God's truth, which is true. Or uh, quotes like from Sir Isaac Newton, like when he was discovering the laws of physics and calculus, he said, I'm, it's like I'm thinking God's thoughts after him. Or like God is the source of all reality. Or that in our life, whether it be suffering or pain or disappointment, 
we only see one piece of the puzzle, but God sees the final product and, and how our piece fits into that entire product. I took those truths and I pretended that they were cliches and it was me fooling myself because they're not. Virtually every biblical character, including Jesus himself, went through suffering and disappointment and pain and even doubt. But they pressed on. And it's as if I was reading the Bible with one eye shut, my spiritual eye, just like, oh, I'm just going to read the words. I'm not sure how many Christians, of, uh, who, uh, people who were formerly Christians, actually walked away from the faith because of that, but that was my story. And here's, here's the thing about it. In my story, and where I was at the time, I wasn't seeking healing because I was trying to control it for myself. But here's the deal. Healing isn't the finish line. It's the starting point. Healing isn't the place that we're trying to reach. It's the place where we begin to live out God's mission and purpose on our life. And in my experience, acknowledging your purpose kills doubt. Living out that purpose is faith. That's where faith comes from. Because God is an active God. He's not just, like I mentioned earlier, in the, in the, I think we actually have a song about this, that he's more than words or just good ideas. But he is a God who's living. And we live in him and we experience him. And that's when we see him and trust. As it turns out, the God who created the earth and the, co- and the cosmos made you to be healed, but also to be on spirit-filled mission. For me, my doubt was a byproduct of my attempt to domesticate God, but that's not even possible. He's bigger than we can possibly imagine. When he redeems us, he's doing so so we can have a relationship with him and live out our calling. He accepts us so that we can serve and live the life of love, healing and trust isn't the finish line, it's the start. So I'm going to go ahead and read the passage for today. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 19. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Essentially, what this passage is saying is that God accepts us as his children so that we can be his spirit-led children for the world. If you're familiar with the Old Testament and the Exodus, this is an echo of that where God's people leave slavery out of Egypt and are led by the pillar of fire by night, the spirit of God and the cloud by day through the Red Sea in miraculous ways into adoption. Just like that, God is calling each and every person into relationship with him. He's calling everyone into relationship with him. 
Acceptance, adoption, and redemption is a fundamental aspect of this passage. It is essential to what he's saying here. God doesn't force anything on you. He's not saying, y'all, you got you to do stuff. You gotta do, that's not his point. That's not what's happening right here. There's, very, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about intimacy with God. This one right here assumes that's happening. It's about being close to God. And out of that closeness to God, out of that hearing his voice, out of that spending time with him, we have our purpose, we have our mission, and it flows from us. The missional life is the result of God's acceptance for us. Paul right here, he's writing to a church in Rome that will go through suffering, tremendous suffering in the next few years. And Paul right here is saying, through that suffering, keep your eyes on what I have in store for you. But in the meantime, right now, I want you to know something. Everyone who follows the Spirit of God, who is led by the Spirit of God, you are God's children. You are God's children. Now notice here, he didn't say you have to obey God in order to be his children. That's not what he says. He's taken the two groups, and he says, everyone who follows the Spirit of God, those are the children of God. Those are the children of God. This also means, by the way, that in Christianity, there is no varsity and junior varsity team. Like the varsity team is like the pastors and the worship leaders, and they follow the Holy Spirit, and everybody else just follows them. They're part of the junior varsity team. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. In Christianity, we all are led by the Spirit of God. Every person, every person. If we're not looking to hear his voice, if we're not being intimate with him, if we're not looking for his heart and saying, how, what is God doing with my wife right now? How can, I, how can I be God's truth for my wife or for my husband or for my children or for my, my coworkers or for the people in this church or in my neighborhood? If we're not asking for that, how, how are we going to be led? How can we be led by his spirit? Even the idea of being sons of God um, in previous generations and even we even have like certain language that we use today that, that echoes back to this. If you, if you were a son of somebody or a child of somebody, like if you were a child of a farmer, you grew up to be a farmer, right? Because you're like an apprenticeship and that was your dad or your mom. Or if, you were, if your parents were lawyers, you would grow up and you would be a lawyer. That's just how it worked. Even today, we have phrases like, son of a gun, which means you're so violent, it's like your dad was a gun. Or son of a bleep, you know? <laughs> It's like your, your parents are, you're, you're so bad. It's like your mom was a female dog. But it's like, you, we get the basic idea here. It's, it, it, when God says, you are my children, you are my children, you are a son of God. He isn't simply saying something about your identity. He's saying that. But he's also saying something about the way you live and what you do in your life, how you reflect the heavenly father. So going back to me 10 years ago, I was uh, in this kind of crisis of faith. And in my arrogance, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to do something really great. And maybe this might bring me back to God. And by the way, if you're going, if you're going to ever go on a missions trip, I'm just going to say this right now, don't do it for selfish reasons. <laughs> it's not about you. If you're going to go out to a missions trip, it's about the people you're reaching out to. It's not about you. Don't make it about you. I did that. I made the big mistake of doing that. And what I did was actually, uh, I was part of a missions trip to China to reach an unreached people group that never heard the gospel because they didn't speak Mandarin Chinese. And because of communism, 
the gospel was never, was never proclaimed to them. They never knew it. So our plan was to sneak Bibles into, the China, into China and pass out radios, and that would, they would be able to hear a broadcast from outside the country for, that was in their native tongue about Christianity, and we were going to do that. It was going to be great. But I tell you, in hindsight, it was like jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire for me. So we go there. We go on a plane. We go to um, Beijing, and then we go on a train all the way to the district that we were going to. And uh, by the way, there was a man on the train. There was only one uh, Chinese guy who was in the, in the train car with my team, and uh, he snored so much. I just mentioned that because it's going to come back later on. <laughs> but, um, but he was in the train with us, and we 12-hour train ride. We uh, eventually got to, to the place that we needed to be. We got all loaded, and we were hiking out in the mountains to reach these people. And uh, we talked to a few people, passed out radios. But as we were uh, hiking in the mountains, uh, one of my team members started to get really sick and deathly ill. And she started having heat exhaustion and being delirious. And we're like, we got we to gotta go back to one of these, these people's villages because we can't be up here on this mountain at all. And so eventually we got her to get back to a village. And by the way, these are villages that are like, like mud patch houses. They're like nothing. Do we have a picture of that? Yeah, mud patch houses like this. And so we had to get her in one of these places because we can't leave her out by the mountain. And as we were there, another team member got really sick. And he started throwing up. And we're almost like, what's happening right now? We got to get back to the main city here, getting some air conditioning, getting some running water because this is not going to do it. So we eventually got in our bus and we drove all the way back to the city, uh, down the mountain. And uh, as soon as we checked into our hotels, uh, the, it alerted the federal uh, Chinese police, and uh, they're going to come and get us. <laughs> so 10 years ago, it's 2019, that was 2009. If you, I don't know if many of you guys remember this, but in 2009, there was a medical problem that was going around. It was called H1N1, also known as swine flu. You guys remember that? <laughs> so um, anyway, they, they, apparently we, on our flight from New York to Beijing, there was a man on our flight that, we, that some of my team members were sitting close to, and because they were sitting in that proximity with that person, they tracked, the government tracked everyone down who was sitting in that, in that area, and they put them all in quarantine. And my team members did get swine flu. They actually got it. And they then took us into this makeshift quarantine hospital and put us all in these different rooms, and I ended up being isolated in there for 10 days by myself. And it, almost like a zoo, and I was like an animal in the zoo because they used to feed me through the window, and it's crazy. But um, I tell you, in the moment, you know, where, did my, where do you think my mind went? We had, we had swine flu, and we were going to these indigenous people. Like, could we, have, could we infect, have infected them? I mean, or, you know, our mission work, now we're, we're under the microscope from the government of China. Now what's going to happen? The missionaries, are they going to be deported now? Are we gonna, are we, do we just compromise their ministry here? And I remember being just so terrified about that. And I'm in, I'm in this room by myself for 10 days having these questions and just trying to figure out, like, God, where are you? And then I, on top of that, I had where I was at the time with my disappointment and my doubts. But being in a room for 10 days by yourself, there's only one thing you can do. And I just, that rug, 
Everything I was brushing under that rug about my doubts and disappointments lifted up. And I just was brutally honest with God. My anger, my frustration, my doubts, everything. Um, and actually, just before I left for China, my dad and, um, I don't know if you got this too, but uh, that's my mom right there, by the way. <laughs> they got uh, me this book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Right here. This is a book by N.T. Wright. It's a scholarly book, about 800 pages, that goes through a rigorous uh, review of uh, ancient documents and first century Palestine. Really, really crazy stuff. But uh, I ended up <laughs> reading this entire book because I come to God, I read this book. And I tell you, it changed my life. I know that sounds pretty crazy. How does this scholarly work, scholarly work change your life? But... Um, I couldn't put it down the entire time. Um, so this ex- what N.T. Wright explains in this book is that uh, our future is not about escaping earth, but that in Christ, in his resurrection, you see God's future world in, where, in which perfect justice and reconciliation takes place, a future not of escape but of renewal, reaffirming God's love for creation, echoing his declaration at the beginning that it is all good, including our physical bodies. That in our future, it's a future of resurrection where God's glory will come down and heaven and earth will become one. Whereas the prophets would say, God's glory covers, uh, fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's a future where we are always on mission, not that we're disembodied people with harps playing on clouds, but that we have a life, not that we're less human, but more human, reflecting God's image in new and creative ways for all eternity. It's that groaning that's too deep for words that we experience today that looks forward to that future reality, that future truth. But in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, all of that future world came smashing into the present. All of our future hope becomes smashing into the present. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't simply rise again like Lazarus did who died again. Or how the little girl who rose from the dead died again. He rose again and he, he dies no more. It's a reflection and a promise that what we are hoping for, what we are hoping for in that future world is true and it's something that we can actually hold on to by holding on to Christ. This also means that when Christ brought it into the present, when we become saved, when we accept Jesus into our heart, we are spiritually resurrected. We are resurrected in such a way where we experience that future world in the present, that future world of perfect justice, of reconciliation. And here's the key point. And now, right now, we live that out. We live that future promise out in our life. You know, at the time, I just dropped the book, and I was like, oh, boy. It's like an audible click went off. And I was thinking, I am so concerned about myself. I'm concerned about other things, but I'm concerned about myself. And I was like, I need to contact my other members, other, other team members. I ended up calling each and every one of them, hearing their story, encouraging them, letting them know that God is with them during the entire time and that they're not alone. They're not alone. God didn't promise that we would not have suffering. God didn't promise that he would, we wouldn't have disappointment, that we wouldn't have doubt. But he promised that he would be with us 
communicating these truths, communicating, communicating truths over and over and over again. And it's interesting, too. Uh, towards the end, I, I found out by the missionaries that the missionary, um, missionaries were, were perfectly okay. There was no compromise, even though I was eventually questioned by the federal police. <laughs> A little bit another story. But, and also, it's really interesting, too, is that there was only one person that we actually infected. The government tracked everyone down, made sure that the H1N1 wasn't, uh, didn't spread around. And there was only one guy who was infected, and that was the guy who was snoring on the train. And he was actually in that quarantine room right beside my quarantine room. And I was able to go outside and pray for him. And it was really, really good. I was able to sneak over and tell him I was praying for him. And it was also interesting, too. Um, when, when I was uh, laying on my bed, the, doc, the doctors and the nurses would all come in, poke and prod me to make sure I didn't have swine flu every day. And um, this book was laying on, um, on my, my desk. And one of the nurses stayed after the other nurses left. And he didn't, didn't speak any English, but he pointed at that picture and he said, I like that. I like that. He was trying to communicate to me. He's, he's a believer. He believes in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And it wasn't until afterwards that I found out that, you know, even though <laughs> we were thought we were at a five, then went to a zero, then it was like a negative 10, we, what our mission strip did was actually not a failure. It really wasn't a failure because it uh, rose awareness of this people group with the local church there. And they started sending missionaries locally to that, that, those villages, which is the best thing we could have hoped for. And like I mentioned before, our suffering is important. It's valid. The healing that we need is important. If you're, if you're struggling with doubt right now, if you're struggling with, with, with confusion and wondering where, God, where is God in this doubt, just know that sometimes acknowledging your purpose, God's purpose in this world, gives you faith. And living out that purpose gives you faith. When, you, when we look at this passage in Romans, um, Paul is not just throwing out meaningless words. He's talking to a people who probably about half of them were slaves. He was talking to a people that in the next few years, Nero was going to start his great persecution where many of them will have their property and wealth confiscated by Rome where many of them will be killed, tortured. And this is, these are the words, for I consider the sufferings of the present time not worthy of comparison with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No one, no one should ever belittle your suffering, and that's not what this passage is about. No one is belittling your doubt and disappointment. That is not what this passage is about. Is about. What this passage is about is to say that in the moment, like scales, those do not compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us and through us. The early church in Rome, um, they actually were still missional despite all the suffering. And eventually they took over the entire empire. <laughs> and there were things that they did in spite of, despite all of their suffering and the pain that was caused to them, they persevered. There was a thing that, they used, that Romans used to do where if they didn't want a, a child, if the child was born and the child was, had, was deformed, or if it was a girl sometimes, just for that reason, they would lay it out in a field and let the animals have at it. It was called exposure. It was a, it was a common practice back then. And what the Christians would do, these same Christians that were persecuted would come by and scoop them up and take them home and raise them as their own and adopt them into their family. 
They would go into places where disease would cover a whole city and all the, all the people who didn't get sick would leave and they would keep all their people who were not Christians, by the way, there, leave them there because they needed to quarantine that area. And the Christians would come in despite the sickness, despite the fact that many of them died and were healing to those cities. And when everyone came back, they're like, why is everyone Christian? I don't know. <laughs> and it's because through the suffering, they desired, decided to look at the final goal and to look at the love of Christ that filled their own hearts. Because I'm adopted, I'm going to adopt. Because I'm forgiven, I'm going to forgive. Because I'm redeemed, I'm going to be a part of his redemption in this world. And I don't know where you are right now. I don't know where you are right now um, in your faith. But for me, um, it was easy. It wasn't easy. It was hard as anything. But as soon as I realized and recognized purpose, I found my faith. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's not where you are. (laughs) Maybe where you are right now is... um, that you feel like you're going through healing right now or have already been healed, but your faith is kind of stalled out a little bit. Just know this right now. God is calling you to be his child, to be his child. He's calling you to be his light. Last week, Brian Robinson gave a whole list of different things that this church is doing right now, whether it be planning a mission trip to Honduras, helping out Venezuela, street corner, and various other ministries, adoption ministries, fertility classes that we're doing here. There's a myriad of different things that God is maybe calling you to, and I just strongly encourage you, be God's light. Be God's hope of that future world into the present. So I'm going to play, uh, we're going to play a video that I really think, it's a worship song that I think really does speak to what God is trying to say here. Um, so I'm go ahead and play it right now. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. As you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form, and if the stars amaze the worship, so alive. I can see your heart in it. God of 
You're the one. 